0: Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Krishna praknya sanaradha Krishna praknya Now it is very anxious to see the Lord's opulence. We see in this material world also people, they like to see great opulence. I don't know in this country, in this country also they... Mostly Westerners, I think, visit that island palace. of Udaipur, there's one island palace. They visit the Taj Mahal. And they like to see these opulent buildings. And in the Western countries, they'll visit the uh, Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle. Have you heard of all these things? So many tourists go. England's not the ruler of the world anymore, but they still have all these old monuments that they still get enough money to eat their bread and butter because people come from all over the world to see their Windsor Castle. And people go to America to, in America they see the Statue of Liberty and the World Trade Center. Oh, whoops, it's not there anymore. Now I have to see the Empire State Building. They can go and look. So people like to see something opulent how wonderful it is. And they'll look and see that, you see they even have gold taps in the bathroom. And they're thinking, you see, if I have a gold ring on my finger, I'm looking so. How nice my gold ring. But in that bathroom, which they're using, it means they're passing stool, which is, they have gold on the gold, on the taps. and So it means they're so opulent. Highly opulent, so now Nuni has also come to see the opulence of krishna, and krishna 's Dwayaka fort is far more opulent than Windsor Castle or Taj Mahal or any of these things put together there, uh, that 's described there uh, everything is made with pearls and jewels and gems silk canopies and beautiful bedsteads and all these things. So that's nice. But actually Narad Muni wasn't so much interested in seeing this opulence but rather the opulence of the Lord manifested in his wonderful potency. How he is simultaneously performing different pastimes in different palaces with different Queens, and with different devotees. Here in this palace, we see that Uddhava is present with Krishna. He was playing dice with his wife and with Uddhava, who is his cousin and very intimate family friend. So there are sixteen thousand one hundred and eight palaces. But Budhava is not only present in one palace, but you'll find him in many palaces. So just as Krishna expands, you see, if he's going to... It's not that he'll just keep Devaki. It's not only that he has one queen in each palace, but Devaki and Vasudeva, they're also in each palace. Because how can he live without his parents? In each form. And they're all performing different pastimes. So this is the... Opulence of the Supreme Lord, He does things which are impossible materially. Etat Ishanam <laughs> that stated in the near the beginning of Bhagavatam that the opulence of the what is the symptom of him being God? that he performs activities which are not possible within the modes of nature. Everything in this material world is controlled by Devi. Nataji. Everything is controlled by her. The poor scientists, they're taking so much trouble to study this material world and how it works. But they don't know that this material world is just an outpost or more like an outhouse. Do you know what outhouse means? It means the toilet outside at a long distance. Nowadays people think it's very sophisticated to pass stool next to the kitchen, but actually you should have an outhouse at a long distance. So this material world, it is like an outhouse and they're studying. They're spending all our energy to study how the toilet is what is going on, and how the the interactions of subatomic particles and different energies... But for all their study, they don't know that there's a spiritual world beyond this material world where these laws don't apply anyway. The laws of physics and all these different things, they, they don't apply in the spiritual world. Uh, There is what energy is working on, Ananda Rasa. Everything is simply working for the pleasure of Krishna. So, whatever rules you might expect in a material world, they don't apply there. And even when Krishna comes to this material world, then he brings the opulence of the spiritual world with him. Just like It said that uh, Krishna, he is regularly going from Nandagram to Govardhan. So it's a long distance. And you now it's said uh, that he'll go there, then he'll come back for lunch sometimes. Then how is that? Because this, not that Krishna is doing jogging, he's doing a running race. He's very, happily going at his own speed, going along, playing with the cowherd boys as he goes along. But the spiritual energy means that that the lotus, which is Vrajadha, can contract. Similarly, we find in Dvaraka, there are there's so much population there, that it's more than that of the present world, and it's a fort off the coast of what is now known as Gujarat, Gurja. We find that even, if you find that King Nagnajiti, he gave to his daughter Satya, dowry to Krishna, when Krishna married her. Now you'll find that it's said that he gave so many elephants, and then a hundred times more this, and a hundred times more that, and a hundred... So when it comes to the number of servants he gave Krishna, that alone is more than the population of the present earth. And they were all in Dwarka. So you might think it's quite crowded. But they can all fit without any problem. How? By the spiritual energy. The spiritual energy can expand different distances and can contract. So that there may be staying in... These, all these servants, that stay in the palace only of Satya, one of the principal queens of Krishna. And then narad Muni is walking from one palace to another. You may think, well, how is it going to be a long walk because that palace must be... Uh, uh, to fit... I mean, it must be at least the size of Tana So it may have been Or it may have been contracted also. But not contracted with... It means by the spiritual energy which can accommodate everything. That's stated in the brahma Sanghita. That the all-accommodating spiritual potency. That means that physically it can accommodate everything because anyway it doesn't work according to the laws of physics as we know it. And it can accommodate all unheard of activities, and all wonderful things. Everything is possible in the spiritual existence. That's why Prabhupāda, sometimes devotees used to ask, what's it like in the spiritual world? Prabhupāda Rāsāna Kṛṣṇa and, pra- and say, you just go there, then you'll see. Because you, we can't understand everything about this. That's why materialistic people, they will reject. How is it a little boy is holding a hill seven days on the end of his finger, it's not possible. Even the greatest weightlifting champions in the world, they can't even lift up one big rock. What to speak of a whole hill full of rocks. So we don't believe it. But then at all, if we're going to accept God, then we have to accept, this. Jiva Goswami says, the first position of theism is to accept that God has atinti-shakti, inconceivable potencies. If we think He's just someone like me, and he's like me but a little greater. God is great. I'm great. I'm great. So if God's great. So well, he's maybe a little bit greater. Frog in the well philosophy. That I can pick up this much weight, so maybe God can pick up a little bit more. He'll get the gold medal in the Olympic Games for weightlifting. But they have no idea how great he is yaka'ana vajale bhajati svayogad nidra manantajagarenda saromu kupaha adhara shaktim avalamba paramsra murtim kribindamadi purushanta muhammaja God is so great that with His breathing the universe is come out of the bars of His body. There's a hole, there's so many holes in our body. Generally we think there are, how many holes? Seven holes? One? One? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, the Nabi. Is that the eighth one? Anyway. But there are so many holes, tiny little holes, Loma, Kup. The the, the hair on our body is called Loma, and Kup means it's like a well, or it's a hole. There's so many, but you can't see it. But there must be, otherwise, how is the perspiration coming out of them? So there are holes all over the body. They're very, very tiny. But Mahavishnu's body is so great in size that whole universes come out of them, and he has the Adhara Shakti. He holds everything within it. So you may think, "Oh, that's very good. We can't imagine." But even greater than Mahavishnu is Krishna, who is non-different. Mahavishnu is non-different. But Krishna is so great, he doesn't even bother with all this creating, maintaining, destroying. He's too busy stealing butter from the gopis. He's got more important things to do. Hey, Mahavishnu, can you, you look out to the material world? Uh, I'm going to go and steal some butter. There's some nice butter being made there. And they're going to keep it very secretly because they know I like to steal it. But I'm going to steal it anyway. They can't protect it from me. He's got more important things to do. So, this is the opulence of the spiritual world that Narada came to see. How Krishna is enjoying his pastimes with all his devotees. <inaudible> that those who are sheltered at the lotus feet of Krishna, they share in Krishna's opulence. Because what is opulence? What is the use unless we can share it with others? That was Arjuna's complaint to Krishna. kimna That what is the use of us winning the kingdom if those who we would want to enjoy it with, they're all dead. We can only win this kingdom by killing our relatives, but unless you have relatives, then what is the use of having a kingdom? Then you can't you want to enjoy it with others. Unless you unless you share your wealth, there's no pleasure to having it. Of course, there may be misers. Like there that was very famous the Nizam of Hyderabad, it was extraordinarily wealthy. He we had rooms full of jewels. But he was such a miser. He didn't like to spend anything. He was a completely miserable person. So, wealth, one can take pleasure in wealth if he shares it in front of all his friends. If someone comes and says, I'm very poor. Oh, oh, okay, take a thousand dollars. All right. He likes to show, you see. Oh, take it. Likes to show how wealthy he is. Unless you can... Or invite your friends. Prabhupada used to say among the aristocrats in Bengal, that means the zamindar class, they used to arrange a big feast and then invite their friends, come. Big, big feast, so many preparations. They would invite their friends who we are also zamindar class. And then they'd eat a little, just a tiny little bit, and say, Oh yeah, here, it's very nice. Thank you. And then the servants would eat everything. But they just like to show, you see, opulence, you see, we've cooked so many things, oh, very nice, okay. Because anyway they themselves are eating, they have facility to eat all nice things, they're all, also... so, all right, very nice, you've done it, we've seen, people like to show up. So the, <clears throat> the devotees of Krishna, they share in Krishna's opulence. And Prabhupada explained that actually the servants, they enjoy more, just like in that example. But the, uh, the... the actual rich people, they're making so many arrangements. But the servants, they actually enjoy more. Because they, you'll see, if you're going for book distribution, sometimes you go to the house of big people. No, the servants don't usually let you in. But you see, actually, they, they have to... They have to live their lives according to the dictates of others. People, they call them to different meetings and they have to live in such a way that people expect them to live. But the servants, they are very relaxed. They just have a little work because rich people have to keep many, many servants, more than they need, just to show off, you see. I've got 120 servants. But what's that one's job? Well, he puts my shoes on when I go out the door. That's his job. He gets paid 10,000 rupees a month. Every time I, he shines my shoes, and every time I go out, he puts them on. And when I come back, he takes them off and puts them on the rack. And that's his job. I have 120 servants, so you see, what shall I do with them all? And this one's job, his job is to just to uh, clean the doorknobs. You see, that's his job. He shines the brass doorknobs or the gold doorknobs. Gold doesn't need shining, so every day he just dusts. uh, Five hundred doorknobs in our home, so that's his job. So uh, the servants, they're actually, especially when the when the rich people go away, we come and visit the home, and they're all lying on the couch, watching the TV, lying on eating grapes. They're enjoying themselves. They have no anxiety. The people who are the bosses, the actual owners, they have to think how to maintain, how to pay all the different taxes and run their business. But the servants, they just do a little work and they're enjoying it. So actually, Krishna, he's not like a material boss. He doesn't have such anxiety. But the servants, they partake in his pleasure. So Krishna expands himself in so many forms because he has so many devotees, so he doesn't want to be very distant from all of them. So he expands himself in many forms so that they can all enjoy. So they can all enjoy. And but then he has to have his best friends with him. So in every palace there'll be Devaki, Nasudev, Uga Sena, Uddhava, all the principles, Relatives not of that particular family will be present with him. So these are some of the opulences that Narada was seeing. Of course, Narada knew this. He knows everything about Krishna. Just like that's described in Bhagavatam. On the day when Krishna had killed Vyomasura, then Narada came to Krishna. He killed the Vyomasura in the morning, and Narada came to Krishna in the afternoon and was narrating his pastimes to him. It's That in the future I will see how you will go, Akrura will take you to Mathura and <coughs> you will kill the washerman and the elephant Kubala, Kubala-yapira and you will kill Kansa, and you will erect the Dwarka fort and you will kidnap Rukmini and marry her. He was narrating all... I, I will see all this in future." So he knew what Krishna's pastimes are. But still he is astonished to see it, because that is the nature of Krishna's pastimes. They are unlimitedly wonderful. And even though a devotee has Tremendous appreciation of Krishna's pastimes, but still he feels that I am only I am only appreciating it to a tiny extent because Krishna's pastimes are unlimited, and as a limited jiva, how much can we appreciate? That krishidas Kaviraj Goswami described that I am writing this Chaitanya Charitamrita. I'm simply describing the main sequence of Chaitanya Mahāprabhu's pastimes. But actually, that every moment that Chaitanya Mahāprabhu was in this world for 48 years, and every moment of his pastimes, even an antishis who has got a thousand hoods, even one moment he cannot properly describe. Because at every moment he performed such wonderful pastimes. That means that every, mo- every moment he's doing something and he's with his devotees and devotees are relishing. And he's also relishing what are Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's thoughts, how he's appreciating within his mind the unlimited pastimes of Radha and Krishna. And different devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu are appreciating different levels according to their own realization and according to their bhakti. But actually the internal relishing what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was doing, actually only Sirup Damodaga Swami could understand that, who was just so close to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's just like the other... He's like another form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. His, his mind was completely one with that of Lord Chaitanya. So Surupdhamada Goswami, he understood the internal feelings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but he didn't reveal it to he didn't reveal it to anyone. Simply he wrote in his diary. And then later on the basis of that, Chaitanya Charitamrita was written. Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, at the beginning of Chaitanya Charitamrita, quotes different verses from Suru Dhamada Goswami's culture, his diary about the uh, internal reasons for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearing in this world. So Srila Damodar Swami knew, but he didn't tell, he didn't publicize it. But Rupa Goswami, he also knew, and he wrote extensively on this subject matter. So that can now be relished by the devotees. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes, are unlimited. And Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, the author of Chaitanya Charitamrita, writes that I'm just like a chatak, a little bird, standing at the edge of a huge ocean an unlimited ocean of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes and I'm taking a few drops and this is Chaitanya Charitamrita which that stated that even one drop of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes it's enough to drown the entire world in ecstasy and we can see Chaitanya Charitamrita he's describing this is these are only a few drops from the unlimited ocean of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes And that unlimited ocean is always increasing. So even if you take a drop, that ocean is still increasing. So this is a drop, it's the... That's the point that... A drop of that ocean is the same in quality with the total quantity of the ocean. So, Caitanya Mahāprabhu's pastimes, they are unlimited. But by studying Chaitanya Charitamrita, we can enter into the quality of those unlimited pastimes. All the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is encapsulated in Chaitanya Charitamrita. So, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami says, I'm only just like a little bird taking drops, but there's a vast ocean. I, I can just catch a little but even that's enough to drown the whole world so in the same way Narad Muni is going to the different palaces of Krishna and he's seen this before he knows that there are different palaces there are different pastimes going on but still he's astonished still he's enthralled to see Krishna's wonderful pastimes Now you may say, well, Krishna's playing dice. Well, I can do that too. Krishna's arranging for his daughters to get married. Well, ordinary people do that too. Krishna's consulting with his ministers, headed by Uddhava, over political strategy. Well, that goes on in this material world also. So we may think then, what is the difference between Krishna's activities and those of an ordinary person? Well, that one difference is there that Krishna he is doing this in sixteen thousand one hundred and eight forms. That's one difference. But so there's a difference in quantity. But also there is a difference in quality because everything Krishna does is of the nature of Anandachin Everything is of the nature of spiritual bliss. We can read the newspaper, we read, someone has stolen some money, thieves, dacoits, stopped a bus, and robbed everyone on the bus. And you read it, not very interesting. Imagine if you had to read it all the time, the same newspaper article. Here's a newspaper article, 10 lines, from the Times of India, or the Hindu Madras edition, 22nd of December, 2001. And you have to read that every day for the rest of your life. So on the 22nd of December, 2020, you already know it by heart, a gang of dacoits stopped a bus on the Manmalam to Pundi Road last night at about 11.30 and robbed the passengers of their valuables and belongings. A case has been registered, and the Mambalam police are looking into it. <laughs> it's boring even the first time you read it, not to speak of it, if you have to read it every day of your life. But if we hear Krishna is robbing batter, which is not, in batter it's not as <laughs> expensive as the gold chains they may be stealing. We like to hear it. Why is that? We hear it again and again. Krishna is dancing with the gopis. No? So many people dance. So what? But we like to hear again and again. Because it's of a different nature. This material world is simply the perverted reflection of the spiritual world in which everything here is asat, achit nirānanda. From the very beginning. adhyanta uh, What is that? Nitya saṃspaśyata bhoga dukha yonaya eva te. What is that? adhyanta What is it? Don't forget it. Then there's one more word. Antavanta, antavanta. That the only pleasure in this material world is that from seeing, touching, smelling, hearing, tasting. But from the beginning, even. It is a cause of misery. Therefore, an intelligent person doesn't take part in it. Why do we like to touch, taste, smell, feel all these things? There's some sensual pleasure. Sensual pleasure. But above and beyond that is rasa, which in this material world also there's rasa. A man likes to pat his children on the head, and the child also enjoys that. There's an exchange of rasa. Is thinking oh my son and the son is thinking oh my father but that exchange of pleasure in the material world that is limited and ultimately it is the cause of distress in various ways either because the son it may be in various ways. The son may be a cause of distress for the father. Or to maintain the son, he has to accept so many distressful conditions, do some nasty job, whatever. There's so much anxiety to maintain him. And then ultimately there is death, which is a cause of pain. But in spiritual existence, the rasa, the exchange, or the... The mellow, the feeling, it's actually very difficult to explain rasa in English. There's no such word. Juice is one word. But when we say feeling, that's actually bhav. So bhav and rasa, they're not exactly the same thing. Rasa we can say that is the pleasure or the essence of bhav. So Bhav is inherent in Rasa and Rasa is inherent in Bab. There's a whole science which has been studied on the material platform by Bharat Muni and his Natya Shastra. But the the actual rasa is that of the spiritual world that is described in Bhakti Rusamriti Sindhu. What are the exchanges between Krishna and his devotees? So because that is on the spiritual platform. It is Ananda Chinmaya Rasa. That is actual pleasure. On, it's Chinmaya that's on the platform of realized consciousness. And when, when there is Ananda and Chit, there must be also Sat, which means it is eternal. In this material world, there's no actual Rasa. because uh, That which is actual Rasa, that means it's undying. We say undying love, but that's actually only in spiritual existence. Because there must be death in this material world. Jātas Dhruvam mātasya For In this material world, death is certain for those who are born and rebirth is certain for those who have died. So this is the position of the material world. Therefore there cannot be eternal love or undying love. But in spiritual existence love is not only undying, but it's always increasing and there's no time limit. It's increasing, increasing, increasing and you may think that mundane poets write poems that my love for you is increasing every day. Well, even if it does, which doesn't happen in the material world. There's some phantasmagoria when someone falls in love, but after some time they wake up and think, oh, actually it's not so wonderful. But in spiritual existence the loving feelings simply go on increasing, 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 and there is no bar to that. There is no obstruction. We see that sometimes Krishna Behaves apparently very badly with his devotees. It's very difficult to understand why should Krishna leave the rasa dance when all the gopis had come to him. This is the culmination of all their loving desires, and Krishna called them with his flute, and then they came. Of course, he didn't directly call, "Come here." But they, they understood the message of the flute, now Krishna is calling us. And then they came and he said, oh, what are you doing here? It's not good for young girls to be in the forest at night, away from your home. You should go home. And he said, no. But you only called us. So then they were enjo- So first he disappointed them. Then he danced with them. Then again he went away. So why should he do that? Why should he apparently leave Vrindavan? These things are very difficult to understand. But one thing we can understand is that by doing this, Krishna showed how The love of his devotees for him is not dependent on any condition, even on the condition of his being present. There's a saying in English that, absence makes the heart grow fonder. In other words, if you love someone and then you're separated from them and then you're you're feeling for them more. But in material life, if there's a, you may have a good friend and then you're away from him, still you feel very strongly. But then if it goes on 10 years, 20 years, you never see them, never have any contact with them, then you may meet again, but it won't be the same. Maybe if you again spend time together, that will that friendship will again be rekindled. But this, because there's not proximity, there's no exchange, therefore, the feelings are diminished. But Krishna by going away from Vrindavan, he showed that even if in his absence, and one thing we have to remember is, for the residents of Vrindavan, one nimish means the time it takes to blink. How much time does it take to blink? Less than a second. So one nimesh is for them like twelve years in the absence of Krishna. So actually Krishna, when he left, they were feeling like tremendous, long period of time. They would criticize Brahma. What is that useless fellow? sitting on top of the partner at the top of the universe. A completely useless, bogus person. He's creating this world, creating our bodies. He's given us eyes with which we can see Krishna. But why is he making them blink? Because during the time of blinking we can't see Krishna. He doesn't know how to do his job properly. This useless fellow called Brahma. They were criticized. That if for one blinking period we cannot see Krishna, then it is a very great disaster. That much feeling they had for Krishna. And Krishna is going away. Then how many blinking periods? There's no blinking because there's, their eyes are full of tears. Their eyes, it's not just one or two drops, but just like tremendous rain is coming from their eyes. And actually, that was there with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That when he was dancing at Vathyatra, then tears would come from his eyes like from a jalayantra, from a syringe, not exactly a syringe, this, this big thing they have for squirting water they'd use for the Hali festival. for squirting water tears were coming out in great force his eyes it was like you know, so much water people were getting soaked wet from the rain coming from his eyes so you can't blink when there's so much water coming from your eyes so there was so much suffering so you'd think that, well, after some time they could be, all right, now, all right, now, some, somehow you are just. Just like someone's father dies, and then, oh, they're very sorry. But after some time you adjust and you go on with life. What to do? You can't lament forever. But for the Vrajvasis they were simply... Lamenting and their lamenting was increasing more and more, and they couldn't forget Krishna. Krishna showed Uddhava, who's mentioned in this verse. Uddhava, he sent Uddhava to Vrindavan because Uddhava was such a great devotee in Dwarka, he was known as the greatest devotee. Uddhava was, uh, he had a reputation as being a crazy fellow in Dwarka. Because sometimes he would go... You see, outside Dwarka, if you go to the coast of Gujarat, you'll find there are different hills inland a little bit. So Uddhava would sometimes go to the top of the hills and during the monsoon season, he would be talking to the clowns, thinking that this is Krishna, because he saw the same color. So he thought, this is Krishna. So he had a reputation as a crazy fellow. Because same people don't talk to clowns. So he had a reputation as a crazy fellow. Because he was talking to clowns. But that was his love of Krishna. That was the manifestation of his love of Krishna. So in Dwarka, he was known as the greatest devotee of Krishna. He had that good reputation. So he was thinking like that, that yes, no, I'm a devotee, and among the Yadu dynasty, he is known as great devotee. So Krishna sent Uddhava to Vrindavan. You take this message to the gopis. And then Uddhava saw what is the love of the inhabitants of Vrindavan. For Krishna, first of all, he went to see Nanda Maharaj and Yasoda, and they were both more crazy than him in love of Krishna. Yasoda was, even though Krishna had been away for so much time, she was still lamenting as if her son had just died like this. She was going on lamenting and lamenting and chastising Nanda Maharaj. But why you? Al- why you, did you allow Krishna to go away? Why were you fooled by that akura? Why did you believe him? You spoiled everything. Now all the inhabitants of Vrindavan are simply lamenting. And Nanda Maharaj would chastise... Why are you chastising me, you crazy woman? You don't you see? Krishna is here because Nanda Maharaj was seeing Krishna. Don't you see? He's still taking the cows out. Nanda Maharaj, his madness of separation from Krishna manifested in a different way that he saw he was so much used every day that Krishna would take out the cows every day. So after Krishna left... Nanda Maharaj saw that anyway because he couldn't imagine that Krishna wouldn't be taking the cows out. For him it was it, it was impossible. No one could imagine. So mostly they, they saw shunyaya tamjagat sarvam. Mostly the Vajavas he saw that the whole world is empty. Why is it empty? There's Vrindavan is there, Govardhan is there, Yamuna is there, the forests are there. The cows are there. Everything is there. But Krishna isn't there. So everything is empty and everything is useless. Because everything in Vrindavan is simply meant for the pleasure of Krishna. Krishna is the center. Without Krishna, what is the meaning? It's all completely meaningless and empty. But Nanda Maharaj, he saw it differently. He didn't see that Krishna, but he kept on seeing Krishna. So Uddhava saw this and then he saw the the gopis and especially Radharani talking in various manners of a completely, apparently insane person in her separation from Krishna. And then Uddhava could understand that I was thinking I'm a very great devotee But Krishna has kindly sent me to Vrindavan on the pretext of delivering this message to the gopis, to the inhabitants of Vrindavan. But actually, I can understand that He sent me here to learn what is bhakti. I thought I knew what is bhakti. But now I can understand that actually, I don't know anything. I have to learn everything. So actually he was thinking that I can learn about bhakti from the residents of Vrindavan, but I'm in a very difficult situation because I've been sent here as a guru to give them a message. To, to give the message that Krishna had given and I have to explain that to the gopis that you see. Krishna is always present everywhere. And even if you think he's absent, he'll be coming soon. I have to explain all this philosophy. So he came as a guru. And even from the external point of view, or the social point of view, he's uh, an exalted member of the Yadu dynasty, kshatriya, nobleman. And the gopis are just village women. So they must respect him. So how can... Uttava take instruction from the Gopis and from the Vajmasis or all Vaishyas. And he's a Kshatriya, a highly aristocratic person. He's come as their guru, as a respectable person to them. But he's thinking, actually, I have to learn everything from them. So, he was thinking, he was praying that if in my next birth, I can take birth as some of the leaves or the grass in Vrindavan, then sometimes the gopis, they will be walking here and there. And then by that method I will get the dust of their feet upon my head. So now at Muni he was going to the palace of Krishna in Dwarka, and seeing the opulence of Krishna. But he wasn't just looking at the, that's a very nice bed you've got, very nice jewels. But he was seeing how Krishna is sharing and enjoying his pastimes with his devotees. Hare Krishna, śrīma-bhāgavatam ki jai, śrīla-prabhādhi ki jai. Is there any question? So, reading from the nectar of book distribution. Preaching while distributing, Vahini Sutta Das. These books are all powerful, non-different from Krishna. We should have full confidence in their power. Srila Prabhupada's books can change the world and the consciousness of people. What we say our preaching should inspire people to take and read the books. That is our duty. What's the use of preaching for a long time if in the end they say, Thank you, that was interesting. But I don't want the books, maybe another time. I want to meditate on what you said. I like speaking more than reading. I like personal contact. Books I don't like. They say this many times. A devotee should never make this compromise of just speaking. Our goal is to make them take the books and associate with Srila Prabhupada directly. That makes the change. If they don't take the book, they're not serious and they will forget everything. They've cheated you and wasted your time. Many people are good at asking a lot of questions and appearing interested, but they simply don't dare to say no right away. this at the end, you become frustrated because you are thinking you had met an interested person. Therefore our approach in the beginning is always short and direct. Present the books in a nice way. Then you will immediately understand how interested they really are. When they have bought the book and given a donation, then you can preach a little more and explain how to read the books. Now they are purified and maybe they will become so inspired that they take even more. And when they get home, they feel they had a nice experience meeting you. They never forget that impression, even if many years pass. The devotees are inspired because of the power of Lord Chaitanya and the mission and blessings of the spiritual master. Because of this enthusiasm, people become inspired and enlivened. But as soon as you go away, they forget everything. Maya offers them sense gratification, and they forget whatever you told them. But if they have the books as a souvenir, they always remember the situation in their encounter with a devotee, then one day Krishna from within their heart gives them inspiration to read the books. Hare Krishna.